once again. Hey, inside your uh, program, you should find an outline. I think we were running a little short today. So uh, if you didn't get an outline, we have a couple extra in the back. You can raise your hand. Anybody not get an outline? It has the winning lottery numbers. Uh, everyone got one? All right. I will assume we'll test you, and you can't leave unless you have all the right answers on the way out. All right, just kidding. You guys in a serious mood or a good mood? Serious? Serious good mood? You're seriously in a good mood, huh? All right, let's see if we could change that today. Hey, uh, we're in the book of Jonah. It's a fun book. Jonah's a great, uh, a great uh, prophet of the Old Testament. It's a fun one. We typically don't read through it because you think, oh, what's the big deal? Because we all think it's about a fish or a whale, and we've gone on that ride at Disneyland, and what's the sense of going through the book of Jonah? Because we went on the ride at Disneyland, and we already know what it is, right? Jonah lights the candle in the whale of the stomach, and he spits them out, and it's all over, right? Not how that ride works? Well, in the top of your outline, you can write these two words down. Write the word grace, and the write, write the word mercy, because only really there's a small part of the story in, in Jonah about the fish. And it's not a whale, it's a fish. And it's really kind of a small part. But grace and mercy is all the way through the book of Jonah. And it's the key theme or the key thought that runs through the book of Jonah. Now, in our church, we have core values. One of the core values is grow. And let me just reiterate what that means when it comes to spiritual growth in our life. In our life, we believe here that spiritual growth isn't just head knowledge. A lot of times people think that. It's like, I remembered verses, I did a Bible study, you know, I'm growing spiritually. So <clears throat> the way that God works in our life is he wants to illuminate our mind, and that is the beginning part of spiritual growth. He begins to give us the scriptures, we learn it, we study it, we memorize it, we do all those fun, fun things. But then it translates into our heart. It doesn't just stay in our head, but it translates into our heart, and it gives us convictions or core values. And we all have core values in our life. We may not know what they are, but they're, they're the values that you have in your life, the convictions you have in your life that drive you, that make you get up on Monday morning and you know do certain things or not do certain things. Those are core values that you have. Those are convictions that you have. And the way that God wants to work in our life is he wants to illuminate our mind with the scriptures, with the word of God, and then he wants to translate it into convictions or core values in our life, but then it doesn't stop there either. The convictions is what propels us to be doers of the word, and that's where it reveals itself in our hands. And so it's our in our head at first, it translates into our heart and convictions, and it ultimately reveals itself in our hands as we become doers of God, all right? So if we just have head knowledge, we become legalistic, right? Know any of those folks, right? And, and that's where it ends. We become very narrow-minded and legalistic in our views, and there's no real conviction, there's no passion, there's no uh, drive in our life. It, it, if, it, if it just becomes part of a heart deal where it's, it's just conviction and there's not, it doesn't translate into actually being doers of the word, I think then it really kind of piles into the prideful life. We know the scripture, we know what it says, we have convictions, and then we usually say, you know what, we need to have more people who do, right? Of course, it's never you people, but it's always we need people, you know, and if you only did, all this other stuff. 
And then, of course, if it just translates into doing and not the head, the heart, and the hands, then we try to work our way to God, and that doesn't work uh, as we try to earn favor with God. And so I want you to kind of understand that as we go through this uh, chapter 3 of the book of Jonah and we look at it, because really at the end, Jonah is going to call the Ninevites not only to repentance, but actually to action, and we'll see how that works in their life. So if you already have your outline, go ahead and pull it out. Let's recap a little bit, and then we're going to jump in to today's lesson. So we looked at a couple weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so we we talked about how God is a God who speaks into into the life of his children. We believe all all the way from Genesis to Revelation and current today as well that God wants to speak to his children. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah and in verse in chapter two or verse two, he says, go to the great city. We'll talk a little bit about the what, why he says great city. Then invite and to preach against the wickedness that has come up against God. So uh, so God asked Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach against the wickedness that has come up. And he's going to give him five words in the Hebrew, eight words in the English language to proclaim a very short message. Who's in favor of short messages? Yay. All right. Thank you. My feelings are hurt now. (laughs) So a very short message and to the point, and we'll see how that works out. But Jonah doesn't want to go because the folks in Nineveh are wicked people. And one of the things that they were known for um, is they would capture, as they would go, part of the Assyrian nation. They were a very uh, large group of people, very powerful. It was kind of the epicenter of what was taking place in, in that area. And they were brutal, absolutely brutal. So when they would go to war, they would oftentimes catch uh, the males and they would keep keep them, ca- they capture them. And then they would actually literally peel their skin off them while they're still alive. And so they would peel like you would skin a, uh, you know, a deer or something that you shot. They would actually skin the humans while they're still alive. They would take them, they would bury them up to their shoulders in the sand and then they would take a spike and they would drive a spike through the bottom of their mouth into their tongue, into the top of their mouth, and they would just let them suffer until they would ultimately die. And so when when people, groups, and countries would hear about the Assyrians coming in to take over uh, their country or to fight, many of them would commit suicide. They would rather fall on their sword and commit suicide than actually go to battle with them. They were a powerful nation, and so they just figured, hey, I'm just going to do it and be done with it than have the chance of these guys capturing us and live a, and die a very cruel and painful death. And so when we see in, in verse 2 where it says the wickedness came, came up before God once again and God tapped uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, you can see why Jonah's going, ah, I'm not really that excited about going to those people because I don't think, Jonah's going to say, I don't think they deserve grace and they certainly don't deserve God's mercy. What they deserve is they deserve poof, right, to be vapor, right? That's what they deserve. And, and so isn't it interesting when we look at other people and their choices they make, and maybe they're making poor choices, we want to run, run them over, and then we want to back up the car and run them over once again, right? But, but when we make the mistakes and we have the poor choices, we want grace and mercy, right? And, that, and, that, and that's how it works. Well, that's exactly where, where Jonah's at. In fact, if I won't steal a thunder for next week, but read chapter four. I mean, the greatest revival perhaps known in this world happened in Nineveh. 
And Jonah, at the end of it, he's mad at God because God changed their life. And he didn't think that they deserved it, right? And we all have a little bit of, a, a little bit of Jonah in us when it comes to that. So then in, in, in verses 4 through tw- uh, 17, we see that God disciplined Jonah. And so there was a there was a sea. It ended up getting real choppy. The, they were concerned that the boat was going to break up, and so they go to Jonah, pray. Jonah doesn't want to pray because he doesn't want to hear what God has to say. And, and so then they figure out we can't solve the storm here. They draw lots to figure out who's causing the storm. It falls on Jonah, and they go to Jonah and it's like, "What have you done to God?" And he says, "I'm running from God." And he says, the way that you're going to solve this storm is you're going to pick me up and you're going to throw me into the ocean. And so you could imagine, you know, each of the sailors grab a hold of, you know, an arm and a leg and they're slinging them, you know, one. And if you read chapter two, you'll see it. And it's like, Lord, forgive us because we're about ready to kill this guy, too. Are you sure you want to go? And three. And they throw him in the water. And the scripture says that as soon as he hit the water, the seas calmed down and God provided a fish to come and to swallow Jonah, right? And so we find where inside the belly of the fish in, in verse 9, Jonah decides to be obedient, right? Isn't, isn't that the way life is, huh? When God turns up the heat, aren't we interested in listening to him? But when life's going well, God's a second thought. Come on. All right, in, in church here, you can talk back a little bit, all right? So then in, in, in verse 10, the, the fish swallows him. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then he finally comes to that point where he's like, okay, God, I'm going to keep my vow. Salvation comes in the name of the Lord only. And the fish, uh, God causes the fish to vomit Jonah out, and he coughs him up to the shore. Now, as I said last week, it, it does not mean, and I've heard people say, that Jonah was spit from where he was at all the way to Nineveh. That would have been like probably close to 1,200 miles, all right? So you could imagine it's like, well, that was cool, wasn't it? It looked like Jonah, right, flying through. So he was spit up onto the shore, and uh, obviously God had gotten his his attention, and he was delivered. And that's where we come into chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 3. If not, Scripture will be on there, and you'll have an outline to fill in. So here's what it says. Then... The, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God's grace and God's mercy, right? It came to him in, 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 at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, it comes to him a second time as God begins to reveal his grace and his mercy. Now, let me show you a picture of the map. We've been looking at this all along. So this is a picture of where... Uh, Jonah would be in letter A. He was from Gath Heifer. That's where he was from. So he he went down to Joppa, which is a port city there in the Mediterranean. He jumps on a ship and he set sail for Tarshish. Tarshish is sea. That would be modern day Spain today. And so somewhere in between the ride, he ends up, the storm ends up happening and he ends up uh, getting swallowed by the great fish. Now, what I want you to recognize is he was called to go to Nineveh, so he was going to go north, and he was going to go to the east about 500 miles. So from where he was at to Nineveh was roughly 500 miles. So instead of jumping on a donkey or, or a camel, he jumps on a ship. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to recognize that where he was going was 180 degrees in the opposite direction of where God called him to. Right? 
I mean, and in his mind, in his mind, uh, what they understood about the world and all that stuff, Tar- Tarsus was like the end of the uh, end of the world. If you were going to go someplace to go as far away from God as you possibly could, that's where you would have gone. And so he jumps on the ship and he's heading in the complete opposite direction. Okay. Now, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh to preach because he doesn't feel like those rats up there need to hear about God's mercy and God's grace. He runs 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and when he gets swallowed, boy, does he love God's mercy and God's grace, right? In fact, he's interested in having a whole lot more lessons on God's mercy and God's grace. And so in, in, verse, uh, in verse 1, he comes to him a second time in his life. Number one in your outline. We worship a God of second chances. And all of us ought to say, hallelujah. Yes, you can say that in church. It's perfectly okay, right? So we worship a God of second chances. The one thing that Jonah was against was the Ninevites having a second chance. But when it came to him, he was all for it. He absolutely wanted a second chance. He wanted God's grace to be revealed to him. And so in, in, uh, in verse chapter 2, verse 9 from last week, <clears throat> we see in there that that's where he made the vow that he was going to make good of whatever it was. Now, we don't know what the vow was. We can kind of read between the lines. He's inside the belly of the fish, and it probably went something like this. Lord, if you get me out of this stinky fish, I promise you, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll be the missionary to the Ninevites, and I'll tell them exactly what you want me to say. Have we all been there? Yeah, we've been in a place in our life where God has has gotten our attention, and we make deals with God. Any deal makers out here? Sure, lots of deal makers, right? And then God gives us relief, and be honest, sometimes it's like, what deal? Did I ever make a deal with you? I don't remember that deal, right? And then God tends to get our attention once again. Verse 2, go, circle the word go, to the great city, circle those two words, great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to, uh, proclaim to it the message I gave you, all right? So here he's given a message. And he's called to go. Now, the word in the, he- in the Hebrew for the word go, we get the English translation that just like go. It's like, hey, when church is over, I'm going to go to the store. Well, you may go right after church. You may go after dinner. You may go home and take a nap. You may do a lot of different things before you go to the store. In this case, that's not what that word means. It actually means to go now. Okay? To go now. To go. It's urgent. It's a call to immediate action. It's not when you feel like it. It's not when everything gets done. It's not when whatever it is. It's the idea that you are to urgently, you are to go. Now, the word there in, the, in, in your outline, it's, it's a, I made a scribal error. It should, it's not G. It should be Q-U-W-N, and it's pronounced whom, okay? And so that is to go now. We are to get up, and we are to go now. We are to move forward. We are to to leave and do what God has called us to do. Number two. So what has God called you to do that you need to do now? Now pause for a moment. Okay, pause for a moment. 
Because I believe that we worship a God who speaks to us. And I believe there's impressions. I believe that God reveals himself and his will to us in our life. And when he calls us to do something, he's calling us to go. Not when you get time, not when it's convenient, not when it fits your schedule. But you're to go now. You're to go now and do it. And, and maybe there's a time in your life where God has asked you, you know what, you need to go and forgive that person. I'll, I'll do it someday. No, you need to do it now. It's urgent. It's immediate. It's instant. God doesn't speak to us just because he can. He speaks to us to transform our life. And, and when we push back and it's like, well, you know, I, as soon as I get and as soon as I do and as soon as I finish, then I will. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't give us those kinds of choices. If he would give us those choices, he would allow us to finish them. Then he would speak to us. Right. So when he speaks to us, he wants us to go now. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to, to apologize, get involved in the ministry. I mean, whatever God has impressed in your heart, he wants you to do it. He wants to, you to pick it up and immediately begin to transform or to be transformed by the words that he's given you in your life. And then he says to the great city. Now, Nineveh was the epicenter of the world at that time. If you were going to change the culture, you would have you would have gone to Nineveh because that would be where everything emanates out of. The culture emanates out of Nineveh. And so that's why he calls him to go to be obedient, to go into that area and begin to touch those lives of those people. Verse three. Jonah obeys the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. So for us, if we were to try to compare where we're at culturally in the world, it, it would be like um, Nineveh would be like Hollywood for movies, Silicon Valley for computers, New York for, you know, dress or, uh, or fashion. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what it would be. So when, when we see about it being a great city and it being about a very important city, that's, that's where he's sending them. He's sending them to really like where everything emanates out of this, this amazing place. The visit required three days. And there's about 120,000 people. We'll see that next week. There's about 123,000 people who are living there. Verse 4. He says, on the first day, Jonah started, and circle the word started. Okay, Jonah started into the city. Now, when we read that word in the English translation, it's like, okay, so he finally got to the city, and he got to where the gate says, welcome to Nineveh, population, 120,000 people. Be careful, we'll cut you up, right? And so he starts into his, evan his evangelistic message, right? Or he starts in to begin to, to, to move forward. Well, that word in your outline, it means something different than started and begins to go. It means to untie and loosen. And this is a key part of being obedient to what God is calling you to do. So Jonah had to untie and he had to loosen some issues in his life. And the issues that he had to untie and loosen was in chapter 2, verse 8, where he talked about worthless idols. He was prejudiced against the Ninevites because they were wicked people and he didn't feel like they deserved God's grace and he didn't want to be obedient to God, so he was full of himself. And so he had to untie, he had to loosen, he had to release that in order for him to move forward into what God had called him to do. Pause. This is true for every one of us. There are times in our life where God is going to speak into our life and he's going to say to you, 
you need to do, you need to stop doing, you need to be involved in, you need to enter into whatever that is that he's calling you to do. And if you're not obedient to it, there is something that has tied you down from moving forward. All of us have an invisible shackle that's holding us back from being obedient to going into what God has called us to do. It could be fear. It could be security, right? It could be, feel, it, it could be the idea that you don't feel worthy. You don't feel prepared enough, right? Whatever it is that God is, God is calling you to do, if you're not moving forward, you can trace it back. And there's something that you need to start, you need to loosen, you need to untie in order for you to go into your Nineveh to begin to share and to minister to those people. And so what is it for you? Oftentimes it's fear. You have fear. It's like, I don't want to speak in front of people. I don't want to do anything. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to do that. Right? And fear keeps a grip on you, and it prevents you from moving forward into what God has called you to do. And so he starts in. He releases. He unties. He, he starts in, and he begins to move forward. Now, this is kind of the, the comical part. Put, put, your, put your feet into his sandals for a moment, okay? He's not going to a place that's friendly to people who believe in God. He's going to a godless society. He's going to a place where they're more interested in taking over and conquering tribes and groups of people than they are evangelizing them and making their lives better. And they do it in a very vicious way and brutal way. And he finally surrenders to God. And he's going to go into Nineveh. Now just get your mind around this. He's going to go into Nineveh and he's going to proclaim a message. Now, we don't have to say it out loud, but let's just be honest. There are places that we wouldn't want to go into because we're fearful of our life. Do those people need to hear Jesus? Perhaps more <laughs> than some of our other neighborhoods that we live in. And so Jonah's going to go into this hostile environment. And what kind of message do you preach? As a you know, guy who communicates, it's always important that you connect with your congregation, you connect to the listeners uh, of who's going to come and listen. I mean, so as a communicator, I'm thinking... What is Jonah thinking at this moment? It's like, I know. Let's give him three points on being nice. Be nice because you want people to be nice to you. Point one. Right? Think happy thoughts because happy thoughts make you nice. And I need you to be nice to me. Point two. Point three. If I've offended you, don't blame me. Take it up with God. Be nice to me. I'm leaving in three days. <laughs> Right? And here's a poem and a joke, and we're all going to leave. But he doesn't say that. <clears throat> in your outline, five words in the Hebrew, eight words in the English, and here's what he says. Uh, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Circle the word overturned. It's a dual meaning word. Okay? It, it would be like for us in the English language, if I said the word bar, it has multiple meanings. Some of you think that's a place where you go to tie one on, right? Some of you are in construction. It may be a digging bar. It may be a pry bar, right? 
So some of you who are into chocolate like me, you might think it's a chocolate bar, right? Some of you who love donuts, it may be a maple bar. Hallelujah, right? Some of you are sinners like me. It may be an ice cream bar. Hallelujah, right? In which case, let's close up and let's go right now, right? So it can mean multiple different things. So here's what it means. It means it can either mean overturned and destroyed, okay? Or it can mean overturned and changed. So he tells them, you have 40 days and Nineveh will be either overturned and destroyed or Nineveh will be overturned and changed. Number four. God's mercy is a limited time offer. And this is what they're going to understand. That God's mercy is a limited time offer. Tick, tick, tick. Okay? God's mercy isn't something that we are to take advantage of because he is a merciful and gracious God. In fact, Paul writes in the New Testament, shall we sin that grace may abound? And again, I, if you have kids in here, sorry, they should be in the back with the children. And it means, here's what he says, hell no, we shouldn't sin. Okay? So, so we don't sin because grace may abound in our life. We, we, we want to live a righteous life. We don't want to take advantage of the sin uh, of God's grace and God's mercy. Right? Because the reality as we sit here, and we've said this through this whole series, the reason why God has not sent Jesus back to return to capture his church is because of his grace and his mercy. And that doesn't mean I have five minutes till I'm over. I used to like Sarah back there. I'm not liking her so much now. <laughs> We're just going to sit and watch that thing tick right by. It was, said, it was said of Jonathan Edwards when he would preach, he would preach for two or three hours, and, uh, which he's my hero, right? I think, I think all messages ought to be right around two to three hours long. And his, his wife was so, she did not want to hear, not because he was a great communicator, he was a fabulous communicator, but she was so convicted she would take things and she, his wife, right, his wife, she, she would throw things at him as he was speaking, all right? Now, everyone look around. Does anybody see my wife in here? No, she's in the preschool because I learned from Jonathan Edwards. So <laughs> I don't want, ooh, oh, uh, Tammy's in here, woo, right? So, so here, here's the idea on God's grace, okay? It's a limited time offer. And they came to understand tick, 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 right? I've shared this with you. I'll be honest with you. When I read the paper and I read the, web, the, the, the news on the Internet and I see, you know, people being headed, beheaded, and I see, you know, body parts of babies being sold, I, I mean, I, I wonder how, how far to depravity can we sink? How bad can it get? Right, just to turn on the computer and watch it more, and think, my God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Beam me up, Scotty. I'm out of here. But let me share this with you. I'm glad in 1990 that Jesus didn't come back. 
You want to know why? Because I would have spent all eternity in hell. That's why. And every day that the Lord waits to return for his church is one more day that your family and your friends and your loved ones who do not know Jesus can turn to him. Right? And, yeah, you can clap. That's all. It's all. We want it. Hey, if you're here and you're a believer and you're a Christ follower, hey, we're out of here as soon as he comes. Whatever your view is on it, I'll just assume we're pre-trib. Who wants to live through the mess, right? We're out of here. What about all the others? What about all the others? Tick, tick, tick. See, do we feel like there's an urgency to reach the world? You know what Jonah said in chapter 1? Hey, they can go to hell. I'm not going to them. And then a fish swallows him, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll reconsider. And in chapter 3, he's obedient, and he walks into enemy, enemy territory. Let me share this story with you, and this is a true story of church a couple years ago. Someone had invited uh, uh, a young lady's mother to come to church, and she had asked about what kind of Bible to get, and she life was not going so well for her. And we told her what kind of Bible to get. She came to church. She gave her heart to Christ in the service. I met with her afterward. I talked to her about some of the ladies' Bible studies that she can get involved in. She was absolutely ecstatic. She was so excited. She felt like this was a change in her life. It was going to be something completely different, a new direction. And it was like Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week. So this was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I got a message that you know so-and-so who came to church on Sunday? Yeah. You know, she's going to go into the ladies' group, blah, blah, blah. Got some ladies, you know, going to look out for her. She's dead. She was in her mid-40s. See, we think everyone's going to live to be, you know, 109. We don't know. And for all of us, it may not be 109. And for our loved ones, it may not be 109. Tick, tick, tick. We don't know when it is. We don't know when it is. And so there's an urgency to want to move forward. There's an urgency to go out and to proclaim because it is a limited time offer. You have and a person has their lifetime to accept Christ. And when it's over, it's over. There, there's no, well, what about and if I lit some candles and I talked to and, you know, no, game over. The whistle blew. There's an urgency to go and to move forward. And are, are we, as followers of Christ, are we compelled to that? Or do we just know it in our heads, but it hasn't translated into a conviction in our hearts, and it certainly hasn't propelled us to be motivated to reach a world for Christ? Verse 5, is that where I'm at? Is that where I'm at? The Ninevites believed who? Yeah, not Jonah. Don't believe me. Believe God's word. They, declare, uh, they declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was like a goat's hair. Uh, it would be like a burlap sack 
that they would put on. It would be very itchy and irritating uh, to wear. But it was it was a sign of saying, I'm I'm submitting, I'm humble, and I'm repentant toward God. Okay, that, that was what it was. It was a sign of surrendering and submitting to God and to allowing God to kind of take control of, uh, of their life. And so, so they get to the point where they, from the greatest to the least, they are surrendering, they're submitting, they're, they're allowing God to intervene into their life. Verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, which would have been unheard of, goes on, he took off his royal robe, which would have been absolutely, that was how you would surrender your authority. If you would take off your robe as a king, that was basically stepping out of the leadership of being the king over all the peasants, and you are surrendering your authority. So when he stepped off the throne and he took, on the, uh, took off the robe, that was his way of, again, humbling himself and repenting. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat down in the dust. Verse 7. When, then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. And here's the message that he gives. <clears throat> By the decree of the king and the nobles, I uh, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. And do not let them eat or drink. Okay. Now, this is calling them to a fast. What is the significance of a fast? So a significant of a fast is humility before God. It's you surrendering your needs for that meal or those meals during the time you're fasting. And in that time of fasting, you are focusing not on your personal needs, but you're focusing on the needs of God. Okay? You're, you're taking your, your focus off your belly and you're putting it into God. All right? So when they call him to a feast, he's calling them all. It's like, listen, listen, listen. Put away your own interests. Put away your own desires. Put away everything. And I want you to focus on God. Just for this time, I want you to look up to heaven and I want you to focus on God and begin to. Not your flocks. Don't feed them. Don't, don't do any of that stuff for them. They're just going to sit around. They're going to have to not eat for this dur- during this time. Verse, uh, I read verse 8. But let, uh, but let men and beasts cover, be covered with sackcloth. So not only is the men, but uh, the beasts are, are as well. Uh, the verse goes on. Let everyone call on and wh- call. What's the next word? Call urgently, right? Just like the word go. Not when you feel like it. Not when you feel like you have the time. But I want everyone to call on the Lord right now. Not when you get the house clean. Not when the kids move out. Not when they get through college. Not when everything settles down. But I want you to call on God. Why? Because God's grace is limited. Tick, tick, tick. Don't wait till tomorrow. Because when tomorrow comes around, you know what? There's always a good excuse not to be obedient, right? You, you know, you know it, it's, you, when you're looking for an excuse, any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse. And here's the funny thing. And you've convinced yourself that that excuse is good. I can't respond to God. I can't give my life to God. Well, why not? Well, because I got, right? But the reality is, in the background, there's tick, tick, tick. Because we don't know. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. We don't know what this afternoon holds for any of us. Right? We'd like to think that we're going to be going to work on Monday. But the reality is, we don't really know whether that's going to take place or not. 
because God's grace is a limited time offer, meaning you have your lifetime and you don't know when that's over. And so he says, let's call on God urgent, uh, urgently. <clears throat> Let them give up their evil ways because they're brutal people, their violence because they're wicked people. Verse, uh, verse 9, then look, look what he says. Who knows? God may yet relent uh, and with compa- uh, and compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not be punished. That's their prayer. They don't know whether God's going to or not. But if we call on him and we begin to fast and we step off of, of our throne and we begin to humble ourselves and we begin to confess the areas of our life, who knows what God may do? God may touch the lives of our community. Now, let me, let me give this to you as a, as, a, as a reference of what Nineveh would be like. This would be like tomorrow morning you waking up and you get on your website for your news feed or you get in the newspaper and it says Hollywood. All of Hollywood has repented and turned their life over to Jesus. And they have committed to make Christian movies that compel people to invite Jesus into their life. But stop. Wait, there's more. What if it said, and all of Las Vegas, all the casinos, all the, you know, the whole strip down there, all of them has made a commitment to follow Christ and use those bazillion different rooms to house the poor and the widows. This is what it would be like for Nineveh to come to Christ, 120,000 people in one revival that, no, that, that Jonah preaches that they came to Christ. The wickedest place that you could possibly be. They turn, right? They turn and they begin to rely on God as the sovereign Lord of their life. So let me ask you this in your outline. What do you spiritually ache for? Now, this is an important part of understanding God's will for your life. Because if you've listened to God for like five nanoseconds, God has placed an ache in your heart. When you read about perhaps children making poor choices, when you read about youth, the stuff that they're exposed to at an early age that we were never exposed to, when you read about perhaps marriages that are breaking apart, there, there is a spiritual ache or burden in your life that God has placed there. That isn't so that you read stuff and go, oh, I feel so bad for those people. That is part of the conviction that needs to be translated into core values that propel you into action. When the king asked the people to put on the sackcloth, he wasn't saying, and know this, God is holy and you need to repent. Any amens out there? Thank you, Brother Joe. Appreciate it. Now let's go back and be wicked. He calls them to action. It wasn't just head knowledge. It was action that he was calling them to in their life. And 
I've shared this story, you know, years ago when I was back in school. I was a youth pastor, and we went to a, a youth conference in San Francisco at that time, and um, Jerry Falwell spoke. And when I was in school, I was thinking, what is Jerry Falwell? I'm looking for some, you know, hip, hipster guy that's going to come to speak to 4,000 youth pastors, and, you know, we're all into the new thing. It's all good. And Jerry Falwell, he's like 900 years old, you know. He floated with Noah on the ark, and, you know, they went to school together, right, him and Malu. Uh. So anyway, he stands up, and he says, he says, how many of you are against abortion? And everyone, ra- you know, raised. And he says, how many of you are tired of divorce? And everyone raised. And he says, how many of you are tired of having youth in your youth group that are, uh, that are raised by single moms with no dads being there? And everyone, ra- you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he stopped. And he said, what are you doing about it? And it was just like this. And he said, it's not enough to go to a rally and be emotionally moved. You ought to be moved into action. If you feel that way, and God has placed that ache in your heart, he's calling you to step out into that area. You have to unloosen the fears. You've got to release the tie that's holding you down so that you're able to be obedient and you're able to move into where God is calling you to go. But he's placed that ache in your heart, not so that you could sit around a coffee table and go, man, I'm telling you, the youth today, they're all jacked up, aren't they? Boy, I'm so glad I don't live in today's world. And that helps what? Doesn't help. Doesn't help. And it doesn't help to go, oh, they drive me crazy. Doesn't help. Are you going to invest in their life? Are you going to go to Nineveh (laughs) and invest your life in those youth, those children, those preschoolers? I mean, whatever it is. Are Are you willing to do that? Because that's how you begin to determine God's will for your life. And the whole message series, Be the Message, folks, this is, you know, this is kind of in a nutshell. This is what it is. This is why I did Jonah going into it. Because this is it. We are saved, not so that we get to go to heaven and go, bummer to be them. We're saved to serve. Right? And aren't you glad that God gave me a bazillion and nine chances to respond to his grace? And how we need to desperately move in to our culture and make a difference for our king. Number five, God shows us his amazing grace. Verse one, the Lord came to, uh, to, jo- to Jonah a second time, or the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And look at verse 10. When God saw what they, that's the Ninevites, did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. And he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Grace and mercy. Remember I told you that word is overturn and destroy or overturn and change. You know what God did? He overturned and changed. And isn't that what it is to become a Christ follower? Isn't it? He overturns our ways and our wishes and our desires and he changes our hearts. And we become a new creation in Christ. The old is passed away, and behold, all things are new. There isn't a destruction. It's an overturn, a new start. 
a new beginning. So let me go down to the third one. We're running out of time here. Here's my challenge for you guys for this week. Number three. Would you fast one day for one meal? I'm not asking all day. If you want to do all day, go for it. One day for one meal. To turn away from your desires and your needs and seek God and humble your heart and pray for the community, pray for your family, pray for your workplace, whatever it is, that God would have compassion and that he would compel us to be the change agents who are called to do. One meal, one day. You pick your day. Like J.J. North, you, you decide. doesn't matter to me. But one day, one meal. Then when we get back next week, we're going to see how many of us have done that. But let me challenge you. Because here's what I believe is going to happen. I believe that God still moves with prayers. I believe that. And I believe that our culture isn't going, it is going to hell in a handbasket. But it doesn't mean that it can't be changed. There has been worse times in history than there are today. And it can be changed. If the church, not our church, all Christian churches would rise up and be the Jonah in Nineveh. Untie, release, get over yourself and move in to where God has called you to be and serve him. 